I went in knowing that I knew something that they either knew naturally or didn't know at all. And that if I went in just being me and sharing what what I knew about what I knew with my background in health, with my background in well-being, with my background of understanding how the corporate sector works and how, how government work, that somebody would hear something. Life podcast where we peel back the bullcrap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. The longer I've been in this profession of coaching, and indeed the longer I've been looking at human nature and what it is to be human, which I think is currently about 20 years, the more <laughs> I see the best way we can help people is to bring them back to understanding their experience of being human, what that is, rather than help them to find some spiritual idea or concept that directs them away from it. And the fact that today's guest has a podcast called the Unashamedly Human Podcast, that gives a big clue that we're on the same <laughs> wavelengths. Uh, she lives in one of the most beautiful parts of the world, especially on the days it doesn't rain, um, <laughs> has a really lovely, soft and lighthearted way of looking at life. And like me, believes life is here meant to be lived mm. and can be lived with joy, clarity and love. Um and yeah, I enjoy I enjoy being connected to her. I've enjoyed the conversation I've just had with her. Um, so I'm very <laughs> happy to have her come and talk about her journey and her coaching life. So a big warm welcome to Jackie Ford. Hello. Hello, Phil. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I feel all windswept and interesting now. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Well, you know that feeling's coming from me, right? Okay, that's great. <laughs> You know, I'm kind of tempted to ask I'm glad you, you cleared that up. Yeah, I'm kind of tempted to ask you, how are we going to fix all those people that think they need to be fixed? But maybe we'll we'll, we'll come to that. I'm just joking, of course. Mm -hmm. So um, for starters, can you tell us, Jackie, how you got into the profession of coaching? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can. Um, I guess, Phil, through all of my working life, in, in one way or another, I've had teaching roles. So as a nurse and a midwife, you know, my job was to teach, you know, new nurses and, you know, new doctors about all sorts of, you know, techniques and ways to do things and how the wards worked and how the hospital worked. And and then I, I, I left nursing and I went into work in the pharmaceutical industry. So again, you know, I did everything from sales, marketing, management, etc. And, you know, did training as well. So, again, in that next phase of my life, I was I was training people and coaching them, although it didn't have that terminology of coaching. You know, you were just mm -hmm. helping people understand, you know, how to do their job better. But, but within how to do their job better, how to actually look after themselves, too, because the two go hand in hand. And then I left the pharmaceutical industry and I went to work in um, the medical devices industry and spent years and years teaching consultant cardiologists and radiologists how to use new technical equipment. And 
So there's always been this theme of teaching, training, coaching throughout all of my life. And throughout that working life as well, Phil, there was this just this incredible search of trying to understand, you know, who I was and why I didn't fit in some places and why I was okay in others and why I got on with some people, but other people I just, you know, I just didn't understand. So there was this incredible search a really hungry search because I really thought there was something wrong with me when I went to work in the corporate sector because it didn't fit with my map of the world, my model of the world. So I thought it was me that needed to change and it was me that was was broken. So I went down that whole route of NLP, hypnotherapy. You know, I have more self-help books than I think M.W.H. Smith have or Amazon have. <laughs> more self-help books than is helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see, there's the phrase, more self-help books that are helpful. And and the wonderful thing about that is, it is if I'd actually read them all to the end, I might have learned something, but I get bored <laughs> halfway through. So, you know, I, I've always been looking in the direction of self-improvement for myself. And so, you know, when I was working in the corporate sector, I used to do NLP training and hypnotherapy just as a hobby. Um, but I never, ever, ever wanted to leave my full-time job, Phil, to to do that because something just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel right. And I came across a, a different understanding of the mind, again, after years of spiritual teaching and searching, um, called The Three Principles. And there was something there, Phil, that... My mum died and I was working in government affairs at the time and the company I worked for said, we want you to come down to London to work. And I live in Scotland and I have three beautiful daughters who were all just going through their exams to get ready to go to university, etc. So that really just wasn't an option for me. So with my mum dying um, and then, you know, that this the possibility of getting a payout not to stay, you know, stay with a company came along. I decided just to to take the leap mm-hmm. and I started my own coaching and, and, and training consultancy and I haven't looked back since I did that, Phil, which was probably about sort of eight years ago now. And, you know, the story is has very familiar elements to it for many of us, I'm sure, um, noticing or really kind of coming across coaching because of a, a fundamental interest in perhaps wanting to be the best version of yourself for one of for one of a better term um and yeah that that search for um again being the best version but that 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 searching for something mm-hmm. which so many of us and you know, i guess so many of us still do have going on to varying degrees you know mm-hmm. i'm curious like it looks to me that's that you describing your your um very briefly but your career prior to coaching mm. sure it has the, the the teaching element but there's some technical stuff in there as well wasn't there mm. you, you know very so huge very very technical i wonder <laughs> i wonder if that says anything to you or whether that kind of whether that shows up nowadays in your interest in coaching and in personal development Do you, is there any tendency to get drawn into the technicalities of things oh my god no <laughs> <laughs> I God, no. <laughs> and she laughs hysterically and throws her head back. Do you know, Phil, that that, that was the journey beforehand, you know, yeah. looking for intellectual solutions, trying to understand the way techniques worked, trying to understand strategies. Um, good God, spreadsheets coming out my ears. No, <laughs> Phil, absolutely no. This understanding that, you know, that, that I'm speaking to you about, and I know that you know well the three principles 
something happened. I, I, I have no words for it, Phil. But one of the biggest insights was around um, surrender. <laughs> that gives you a wee clue to the control freak part. That <laughs> 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 was there for years and years. Um, it was I was on a, a three day small group intensive with Mike O'Neill and Paul McKenna down at um, Mike, um, Paul's house in in London, and there was only six of us, uh, and um, for which I paid an arm and a leg in my life kidney, my first grandchild, mm-hmm. uh, and it was really interesting because I didn't know who Mike O'Neill was. I knew who Paul McKenna was because I'd done some training with him in NLP years ago, and assisted on his his courses in London. But anyway. Um, Michael was talking about something about creativity and I just started to have tears rolling down my eyes and I had no clue why Phil did not understand why and I remember one of the lovely ladies um, Fiona or Fee saying to me that's often how it tends to work out Jackie and I just thought what what is <laughs> nobody <laughs> telling me anything here and so I went home the first night of that that retreat and I just thought you know this is just shit this is you know what the hell have I paid for and the next morning I woke up and um, I, I, I literally saw Phil a white flag on one side of my brain and a white flag on the other and I could hear the word surrender whispering to me and I could see it and it's gaudy, pink neon light. <laughs> I just thought, <laughs> did I have some magic mushrooms or something last night that nobody's told me about? But it was like a, a literal, a literal manifestation showing me or pointing me towards something to do with surrender. So when I went into the second day of the, the retreat, I said to Michael Neal, you know, what does that mean? What Really, come on, what does that mean? And Michael just said to me, I love how insight shows up as literally as that one has for you. Mm. And the first thought that came to my mind was, that guy's a wanker. (laughs) Because all of my training to that day, as you you quite rightly saw, was it was technical, it was information, it was sharing information, it wasn't withholding information. And I didn't understand that what I was being pointed towards wasn't about the content. It wasn't about another soul putting their story onto what I had seen. And that the joy of what I had seen would reveal itself to me over time. Yeah, and, and what can happen to me from that space, Phil, was this sort of, and I talk about this, this sort of <laughs> vampire-like thirst to, to sort of to, to devour everything I knew about Sydney Banks and the Three Principles and, you know, about, I mean, there weren't many books. I think there was about three books at the time or something. Um, there weren't many videos. It was just, it was, it felt important to keep looking in that direction of truth. Now, I wonder what was, what, what was, um, <laughs> I'm laughing because in a, in a previous conversation we just had, Jackie, we were talking about yeah. how, how we have a tendency to add meaning to absolutely everything. And I'm, I'm wondering, oh, what does this mean? So um, I kind of want to, <laughs> looking back on that, what was like the incentive and the intention really behind going deeper, for want of a better term as well, but to continue in that exploration? Because if we just started this conversation and you said, well, I woke up one morning and thought, well, I want to be a coach. So then I started looking at ways mm-hmm. to become a coach. But that's not what I've heard, right? It's like yeah. you're already on this 
um, exploration, looking mm-hmm. for something. Was this just essentially just part of that? Do you know, Phil, I can look at that and I can make up meaning of what I was doing. If I was to say to you that I was driven to do that beyond any intellectual thinking that I had at the time, Mm -hmm. there was a deep knowing inside me that kept pushing me towards it. There was no end goal that wasn't like, I want to become a, a free principles practitioner or I want to become the best, you know, um, human being I can possibly be at that point. You know, it was just like, oh my God, this, there's something here. Yeah. But but even that wasn't that wasn't articulated. It was just I, I was following mind. I was following where I was meant to go. In fact, I wasn't following it, Phil. It was almost like <laughs> something was grabbing me by the ear and pulling me along like a naughty schoolchild. <laughs> and you know what jack i would love to know why it is when we get those get those nudges if you like from wisdom mm-hmm. just you know we just follow and yet sometimes that just doesn't work out it can be a complete and utter fucking disaster mm. um <laughs> True. i'd love to know i'd love to know what why that is but who knows maybe it's because the effing disaster is is, is also meant to show us something else who knows so f- from there to mm. using that understanding to help others. How, how did that start to come about and unfold? It's the, it's the most curious thing. I mean, like everybody probably, you find yourself doing things. <laughs> Why am I here? Why am I doing this? You know, and so my background laterally in the pharmaceutical industry, I'd been working across the four devolved nations, you know, sort of um, talking to politicians about not about product, but about um, health and prevention. So my role was to raise awareness about certain disease states. Um, And so I kind of knew my way around all of the the, the four parliaments in in, in the UK, the devolved and otherwise. And I found myself, and I, you know, I, I giggle when I think about it, in speaking to politicians about this understanding called the three principles, <laughs> at the same time thinking, why the hell am I here? <laughs> I think I'm a crackpot. They'll think I'm like David Icke and I've gone off, you know, <laughs> gone in some kind of trajectory. And it was a wonderful learning opportunity for me because I, I do work with a lot of politicians, especially women political leaders, um, on things like confidence and public speaking and stress and overwhelm. And it was a wonderful opportunity for me, Phil, to test my understanding. And again, this wasn't a preconceived idea, like I'm going into the parliaments to test my understanding. (laughs) It was like, I just found myself there and I'm like, oh my God. And I would sit there and I'd be up in my thinking, you know, and thinking, you know, my God, they're going to think I'm stupid. And and then I'd settle back down into a conversation. Then I'd go back up into my head and I'd come back down again. And that was gorgeous because that taught me, Phil, that I am never always not in my thinking. I, I float in and out of it like a butterfly. It's just in and out, in and out. And it taught me a lot about the transitory nature of thought mm. and how it passes. So 
So I found myself in there. I found myself um, holding, I think over the last four years, I've held four um, meetings at the Scottish Parliament and invited all sorts of charities and politicians and speakers to speak with me about this understanding. Um, I find myself, you know, going to, to community centres and, and, and I've just ran a a study, a self-funded um, study looking at 100 women who all self-referred who had mild to moderate depression. And that's kind of a background for me and my mum and my grandmother. So again, that wasn't a conscious choice. I found myself doing this. And over the course of four or six sessions, 76% of the women have come off of their medication. So it seems like the more I live my life by the seat of my pants, the more fun I have. I'm wondering if somebody's listening to this and they're like, come on, Jackie, what the hell are you on about? You know, like <laughs> I, I'm here. I am struggling with life. I'm trying to work it out. I'm trying to do my best. I need to get another job. And here I am. I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to push things through and make it all happen. What do you, what do mm-hmm. you, what do you say to somebody like that? I'd say to them, Phil, just trust, trust yourself. If you are at the beginning of a coaching journey and you know that you need to earn more money to keep a roof over your head or to, you know, feed your family, then follow that and do that. That That's not a sign of failure. That's a sign of strength, recognising what you need to do. My my journey was, was really interesting, Phil, because when I first came across this understanding, I, I had had a job, Phil, where... I earned happily six figures, you know, company car, you name it. You know, know, people would meet me me in airports with wee caps on and drive me places. And what I found was, you know, when I decided to go alone, you know, I had a cushion. I had some money in the bank and my husband was earning. And what I saw, Phil, was my well-being was rising and my income was loading and I didn't give a shit. Because I knew it was going to be okay. I knew it was going to be okay. My husband got terribly worried about it, but I knew that it was going to be okay. And in the first year of me transitioning from, you know, my my corporate career to, to being a coach, I didn't hit six figures. I, mean, I didn't even hit, well, I think I, I just hit five. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> it was that bad. Um, but I knew that it was going to be okay. And I can't describe why, Phil, but I knew that I was looking in the right direction. I knew that everything was okay with the family. I knew we were all good. But I would have taken another job if if I knew that that was the right thing for me to do at that time. Yeah, yeah. And you remind me of something that Steve Chandler used to say to us when I went through his school. Um, and, it, you know, it makes complete sense, of course. He would just say, you know, stay on the path. To stay on the path, keep going. And, yeah, like, I love what you've said. Like, we take care of your needs we all have these you know basic needs and we want to take care of those Mm -hmm. um and when i look around i've been in this game a long time it feels like a long time now but um (laughs) that's going to get that's blown out in the water quite often when i when i catch myself saying i've been in this game a long time and then you know tomorrow i'll be talking to somebody who say well i've been coaching for 40 years but anyway it feels (laughs) sometimes it feels like a long time but then i'm also also feel like very much still a beginner um but yeah, just just keeping at it, and I do notice that the the, the the coaches that I see in the communities that I mix in, um, the the shape, if you like, of the curve might vary, and certainly have different sizes and numbers of bumps in it. 
But there does look mm-hmm. to me like to be a curve, and it's not necessarily exponential, but it is people essentially just staying on the path and keeping going mm-hmm. rather than rather than giving up. So um, I'm, I'm I'm curious then, how on earth, like you said, well, you just found yourself helping people out in uh, in Scottish government. But how, mm-hmm. just out of interest, curious, from listening to, uh, I am curious, how does that actually come about? Like, how, how, how are you connecting with people who are transitioning from your, if I've got this right, the last corporate role perhaps was like quite a technical role. How, how do you go from that and mix in circles where you're developing connections that you end up working with people in, in government? I think so. <laughs> Once you realise there is no self, there are no others. So going in and speaking to anyone about anything doesn't really matter because there, there, there's no distance between you and them. I went in knowing that I knew something that they either knew naturally or didn't know at all. And that if I went in just being me and sharing what what I knew about what I knew with my background in health, with my background in well-being, with my background of understanding how the corporate sector works and how how government work, that somebody would hear something. I mean, I remember having a conversation with one guy, a politician, and I went in the room, Phil, and I knew this guy really well, and um, he put... he. <laughs> He got his iPhone out and he put it on stopwatch. (laughs) (laughs) And he set it to 10 minutes. And, you know, I I was 10 minutes and that was it. I mean, he was busy, fair enough. And I saw myself, Phil, settling into a space of, oh my God, he's only given me 10 minutes. I need to speak fast. Hmm. Seeing that thought and killing myself laughing and thinking, do you know what? That's not important. An hour and a half later, we were still talking. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, coaches in, 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 in selling, I mean, I sold for years and years and years. And I guess I'm still selling ideas and concepts to people about this understanding and, 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 and what I do. But it's very, very, very important that we settle into a space of knowing what is, is what is, instead of what we think should happen when we think we should tell someone about the price of whatever we're offering, when we think we should ask them if they're ready to sign. It's it's coming from that intuitive space informs us what to do when we're meant to do it and having absolutely nothing on it. You know, and, and you know, you mentioned Steve Chandler earlier and, and one of the things that I love about Steve is he just has nothing on it. You know, and, and this whole thing about money. I mean, money is a thank you. Money is a, it's a piece of paper that says, hey, you did a good job. <laughs> you know, here you go. <laughs> yeah, we all have this this whole set of values and beliefs and, and fears about what it is and what it isn't. And do you have enough? Do you not have enough? In fact, I, there was a guy around our house the other day. They were doing some work for us. And I don't know what it is about me, Phil. You know, people just tell me their life story. And this guy started talking to me, to me and he's saying, 
you know, he's, he's, he's in his 50s and he's like, I have to keep working because, you know, I'm really worried and, you know, I might not have enough money for my retirement. And he's mid-50s, same age as me. And, and I'm just like, ah, it'll be all right, don't worry about it. You know, you're showing up, you're working, you'll be fine. And, you know, when you're, you're older, I'm sure you'll have other people do the work and you'll just manage it. And he says, no, he says, I just keep worrying about money. You know, I, I rent out 20 flats and they're all mortgage free. And, you know, <laughs> and, and I've got this business up the road. And I just said, to him, can you hear yourself? And the fact that his wife is very well off and they own their home as well. I just thought, wow, he's operating from that space of lack mm-hmm. and a space of fear. And he's going to run himself into the ground. How often do coaches do that? Yeah, and also, um, what you remind me of really is that I think the knowing, for me, what I'm hearing um, in my head mm-hmm. is when I think, well, what's knowing? Is It's like, well, I know that I can encourage people to look in a particular direction that mm-hmm. would be helpful for them to see. But I don't know then what the impact of that would be. I can have a stab from like, you know, case histories, if you like, which are, which are numerous, but also mm. num- but also varied. Like, you know, uh, relationships have impacts that and business growth and much more creative and all this kind of stuff. Like one of my favorite stories is, uh, you know, somebody wouldn't sing in front of her parents, end up singing in front of thousands of people on the stage and uh, all, all of that kind of stuff right so uh-huh. we've got those stories but so i don't have and i think it's easy it's, it's it's kind of we can get caught up as coaches and we're connecting with somebody to try and predict what the help might look like or rather what the impact of the help might look like but what i'm hearing from you is just just there's just this knowing that there's something useful and helpful for them to see and then mm. what they do with that, the impact of that, well, that's just going to be God-given or, or whatever. That's just going to unfold for them in any case. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with me. Mm. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Sort of to know that it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with me and how easy it can be to have an expectation of an outcome with a client. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen to me, Phil, because it does from time to time. And I'm grateful for when I see it. And and that, again, is, is like I, I was explaining about the transient nature of thought earlier. Just because you've, you've heard something true about how you're how you work as a human being, it doesn't exempt you for the rest of your life from that experience. (laughs) Good God, no. No. (laughs) In fact, it actually becomes more uncomfortable until, you know, you settle into a space of like, oh my God, that's what's happening. So I love when I'm given the opportunity to see thought and action. Here's another cute story for you, Phil. And it was um, I was going in to speak to the, the Ministry of Defence. They were having, um, they were doing some well-being days, and I was really interested in you know sort of finding out well what are you actually doing for your well-being days, and all they were doing was you know the typical external well-being, which is a wee bit of reiki or a massage. There was you know the band-aid was going on instead of sort of getting to the deep, the deeper truth. And I was sitting waiting in reception for the person to come and collect me. 
and I, I wasn't feeling particularly well that day. I had a cold or something coming on. <clears throat> so I was resting in a, in a wee space of a lowered state of mind, <laughs> feeling sorry for myself. And uh, this guy came in, Phil, and, and he was completely dressed in his military uniform and um, he had a gun. And the minute I saw him, I felt this wave of fear rise from sort of the pit of my stomach. And at the moment that I was feeling that fear, this gorgeous, fresh thought came in, Phil, and it was so totally random. The fresh thought was, oh, bless, he's playing dress up. (laughs) Yeah. And again, that experience taught me that there is always room for fresh thought. There is always room for insight to come through, even when you're feeling scared or, you know, you're sort of caught up in your thinking. I don't believe that a quiet mind is necessary. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I offer to this. I offer this to people all the time. In that, well, mm. all I can, I can promise you that this is not going to be the only, the last and final thought you have on the matter. Like. There will be something yeah. you will see this differently at some point, and then you get there. Well, yeah, but when and how and whatever, it just happens. It yeah, just, it just happens, and yeah, in knowing that, it just seems to like if if I've got a thought about something and I know that that's the only thought that's available, I'm gonna have a mm. different relationship to that. To 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 just simply, I'm gonna have a different relationship to that thinking. Mm-hmm. than if I just know that that's just something that's just appeared and it's going to disappear. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, it, Amir Kirkuti and I were laughing about this. He was on one of my podcasts, as you will be soon, my love. Mm, thank you. And, <laughs> you know, Amir said that same thing, you know, that he gets asked a lot about, you know, when am I going to see this? How is this going to become clear to me? And I told him I have three crystal balls. <laughs> no, <laughs> yes. I have them by my desk, and 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 I show them to people. You know, I get them into this. They take me deadly seriously. You know, after a couple of minutes, I'm like, I haven't a clue. I haven't a clue, and and neither do you. And isn't that an interesting space to rest in, instead of wanting to know it and wanting to know it yesterday? <laughs> Oh, the fallacy of wanting to know. Yeah. So much suffering from that. So I'm still curious. Right, I am. I'm still curious. <laughs> the technicality. So, so connecting with, with Parliament, what were you, like, did you write and said, hey, can I come and talk to you because I, I have something that might help you with X, Y, Z? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm curious about the connecting piece. Oh, the connecting piece is what we're talking about here is well-being. What we're talking here about is mental health. Mm. It's a, a simple email or a letter or a phone call that says, you know, I'm really, really curious um, about your thoughts on mental health in your particular constituency. Mm. Can I come and speak with you? Wonderful. Simple as that. It's simple. Absolutely simple. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think they have to be... You know, they have to have sort of facts and figures and, and all of that stuff. That's someone else's story. You, you know, for me, I'm just going in and I'm going in to understand, Phil. I'm not going in to teach. It's the same when I go and I speak to corporate organisations or I'm working with leaders. Mm. It's about, tell me about you. What's going on with you? And a lot of leaders will not want to admit, Phil, that they're stressed or they're overwhelmed. 
So the way that I work with them is, it's like, well, let's look at clarity. Let's look at helping you have a clearer mind while you do your job. You know, it's finding out, you know, I might feel something that they're not telling me. And then it's about putting it across in a way to them that satisfies their sense of self. Because I know that that sense of self will start to disappear. Connection just dropped there. So could you just say that last bit again? Uh, That's quite important. Yeah. I was just saying that when I start working with them, it's important to, to, to give them something that helps them understand their sense of self mm-hmm. with the understanding that part of my role is to help them see that that role of self dissipate. Because in that understanding of self, that's where the lack of clarity comes from, that's where the stress comes from, that's where the overwhelm comes from. Beautiful. There's such an important point as well. It, you touched on there, and it, it, it comes up in these conversations, um, of the difference between thinking, oh, I've got something to sell. How can I sell this service? How, essentially, how can I sell yeah. into, into an organization? And the difference between that and going into an organization because you're curious about them and you're curious about the people and you're curious about what's going on for them. Mm-hmm. With, as you say, nothing on it. I totally mm-hmm. agree with you on that. And that's a huge shift for me, I would say, a few years ago in that instead mm-hmm. of like, oh my God, okay, I want a coach. How can I sell my coaching? Where's the next client coming from? How can I enroll somebody and whatever, right? Well, how mm-hmm. how, how do I steer the conversation into the, onto the subject of coaching so I can just say those magical words? Oh, would you like some help with that? Like, oh, so horrible. Just, you know, things show up organically, naturally, by just following our loving curiosity for other people like i'm sure so you would enter into these i'd imagine if (laughs) that you enter into these conversations with people and once they start sharing with you it's like it becomes obvious and and like unavoidable for you to then be able to share how you might then be able to help them Oh, absolutely, Phil. And you know, here's a here's a wee story I'll share. I've shared shared it before, but it cracks me up. <clears throat> I, I I was sitting with a, a a female politician one day, and and I, t- I don't just work with politicians, but these are the stories I find more interesting, because again, you have a, a you know a, a lot of people have these preconceived ideas of who these people are, and but they're just human. <laughs> they're just the same as you and me. They go, as my grandpa said, they go to the toilet. You know, right. they're the same as yeah. you and I. But I was sitting with this female politician and I was talking to her about this understanding quite early on in my journey. And it looked like she was hearing something, but but what she was hearing was just a wee bit off kilter. And she would say things to me like, oh, yeah, Jackie, that sounds like good thought. And that sounds like bad thought. And that sounds like negative thought. And then this. Story came out of my mind, out of my mouth, Phil, and it's a story I never thought I'd tell anybody apart from my husband and my kids. And I said to her, Do you know, we used to have these two little Shih Tzu dogs, and I would take these dogs for a walk every morning. And every morning, you know, you're waiting for the dog to do its, you know, do yep, its business. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Put it in a wee bag and find, you know, the nearest bin. <clears throat> Excuse me. And one of the dogs was a right wee 
she was a bitch <laughs> and she would just take forever and so I'm out for this walk I'm, I'm newly up I am still tired and a bit dazed I haven't had my breakfast and I'd be walking home about half an hour an hour later with the dogs with the poo in, in, in the little poo bag and I always passed this red post box and without fail Every morning, for God knows how many years, Phil, that thought came into my mind. Post it. Just post it, Jackie. Post it. But I knew that I wasn't to do it. And when I told her this story, she threw her head back, couldn't stop laughing. And then the next phrase that came out of her mind, Phil, was, that's just like me when I'm sitting in the debating chamber and a member of the opposition party walks by me and I don't particularly like them. And I want to put my foot out to trip them up. But I know that I shouldn't. And yeah. that was all I needed to say. I was like, that's it. That's what separates you and I from going to prison. <laughs> you know, and others from going to prison. Because other people can see that thought. They don't recognise that it is thought. It's not a fact. It's not a command. It's just a transient thought flying through your mind. But other people in lower states of mind believe that. Mm -hmm. And that's why they end up in trouble. So I, I didn't need to go into the whole story about, you know, here are the three principles, blah, blah, blah. Because it's in the sharing of these stories, Phil, and the sharing of these metaphors that people see what they're meant to see. And I've no idea why that's one of my favourite ones now. <laughs> that we can get insight even from a dog poo bag. I mean, that's just amazing, yeah, yeah. isn't it? I do. So I'm wondering for you, Jackie, like um, your sense of self, how you saw yourself. Um, then you came across this understanding um, around the time, the same time as your mother died. So um, how, like, what went on there in the how you saw yourself? What was the biggest change for you? I mean, being completely honest with you, Phil, I've never really had a strong sense of self mm. all of my life. I've never I've never really, really felt that. Like, whenever I would talk about stuff, I always spoke about we. I was never a word that I used. You know, like I would talk about um, this is something we did and it wasn't it was something that I did. But... I never, ever had that strong sense of self or I was important or, you know, what I was doing was important. It, it just wasn't in my vocabulary, Phil. Hmm. So when my, well, my dad died about 10 years previous to my mum when I was only in, in my 40s and, and my granny died like a couple of years before that as well. So it was kind of like one thing after another after another. And even at that, Phil, you know, sort of this this innate well-being, this this deep knowing that we all have inside of ourselves, is always there. It's just always there. And so I knew that when my grand died and my mum died and my dad died, that yeah, it was sad and it and it, and it sucked. And but I knew they would all. They were always with me. It wasn't about the person. It it was more than that. And all through my nursing, I knew that as well, that that vital spark wasn't something that you could call a self. It was, it was more than that. 
you know, and I can put all sorts of labels on that, say it's spirit or it's soul or whatever. But I've always known, kind of like the word God to me, Phil, mm. is the word God to me has never made sense because it's always felt like a limitation. It, not because it's you know people would refer to God as being manlike, but 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 in the terms of a an an, an entity, yeah, because to me it's it's much much bigger than that, and so me not having much of an idea of self all of my life has meant that a lot of the time, not most of the time, because <laughs> I've had my moments and lots of them. Um, that have just kind of been me and done me. And the point where I started to develop a sense of self was when I, I, I was actually in the pharmaceutical industry. Well, that I was aware of, because of course, at the age of four, early years, you start developing your sense of self or younger by seeing yourself in a mirror and all that kind of stuff. But there was something about me transitioning from being in this beautiful, caring profession where it was it was never about me. And that felt right for me, Phil. It was never about me. It never is about me. It was about others. To going into a profession where it was all about sales and it was all about ego and and it was just very, very different. And that was the point, Phil, that I got a bit lost and I started searching. And since, yeah, <clears throat> since this understanding and, and sort of looking in this direction, I've settled back into that space again of just being. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. So any kind of crazy coaching related stories you could share with us <laughs> <laughs> oh you're such a sensationalist <laughs> <laughs> no but i can tell you a couple of funny sort of mid- midwifery ones if, if you want to hear those yeah, ones. Go for it. yeah, yeah. it's all about sharing your coaching life so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i you know a lot of the time um when women are going through labor you know you have a lot of women who they want to listen to their instinct, which I'm all for. Um, and I found that some women, it wasn't about listening to their instinct. It was about listening to what others told them worked for them. So a bit like there's a blueprint and you have to follow the blueprint, which we know there isn't a blueprint. And uh, I remember this couple came in, Phil, and they had read somewhere that both the man and the woman being naked in the delivery room and that clitoral stimulation really 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 helped with um pain control which it does it absolutely does <laughs> when you're a midwife and you're tangled you know what's that game where you all you put your, your hands and your legs on certain colors oh, and you all twister. get tangled? yeah twister. yeah, yeah. Well, you know in my younger days I used to play strip twister i mean that's even more fun yeah <laughs> well you imagine me i i'm in my nurse's uniform in a game of twister with these two well this this man is, is is giving his wife clitoral stimulation to help and i've got the wee trumpet on trying to listen to the woman's belly and the baby's heartbeat 
and you know and to have nothing on that it was just beautiful it was just mm. a lovely 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 experience i don't tend to think that i don't have any coaching crazy coaching experiences yeah. because they all teach me something phil you know about myself or about the other person or about you know what's what's going on in the moment so i welcome it So uh, I'm going to rephrase a question that I usually ask my guests in a slightly different way. So I wonder for you, what's perhaps the most, as far as um, helping you to develop connections, so that's like the foundation of building any kind of coaching practice is connecting with people. Mm. What do you see as like the fundamental thing behind that that's helped you the most? I love that question. <laughs> Let me tell you a wee story about that too. <clears throat> For years when I worked in the pharmaceutical industry, I used to hate conferences. You know, everybody was away together in some other part of the world for three or four days. And yeah, I mean, like, if you're trying to build a coaching practice, who would earth would want to go into a room where there are a bunch of other people? Who would want to do that? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is, I'm getting to a point. Just yeah. you hold on there. Um, <laughs> you know, sort of, there was just... This was me. I was I was in sales at the time, so I'm, I'm going to these conferences, and <clears throat> I used to hate it, Phil. I really hated it. I I used to take my my iPod or my my wee CD player or whatever, and I would say to my husband that I would get people poison after about twenty four hours, and the people poison was I just couldn't stand being around people all the time, and I could have put all sorts of labels on that as being oh I'm an empath and I'm absorbing the energy of all these people or they're energy vampires and this is what's going on I did nothing to change this Phil and now whenever I walk into a room of hundreds or thousands of people and I'm mingling or you know I'm doing what I'm doing I just I've, yeah I, I'm just there I'm there I'm in this gorgeous state of neutrality and love and that there's I often think why is my mind so empty why is it so quiet and I think that's been one of the, the greatest teachings for me is knowing that if I go into a room full of people and I'm networking or I'm developing relationships with people and I don't go out there say, I'm going to develop a relationship with you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, I pick you. <laughs> it's very much if it feels right, if it seems right, that's great. And if it doesn't, it's okay to walk away from it too. But my biggest lesson learning about that whole thing was if I'm in a room with people and I'm not feeling uncomfortable, it's got nothing to do with them. It's got everything to do with me. And I know that somewhere, whether I'm conscious of it or not, I am believing in some old story, that some old, you know, sort of script that's going on in my mind. And I don't need to know what the content of that is. I just need to wake up to the fact that I'm thinking and I'm believing in what's going on in the moment. And that's usually enough to let me just settle into whatever space it is that I'm going to settle into. Because I went to a, a huge function um, down at a hotel near where we live, and it was called Ladies Who Lunch. And it was like, oh, my God, it was like the housewives of Scotland. You know, they were all beautifully dressed, you know, and sort of lips plumped up and their boobs pointing in the right direction and gorgeous clothes and... Years ago, that would have just, oh, my God, knocked me into some kind of 
judgmental spiral about myself. Mm. And it was only when I came out of it, I thought, oh, I had such a good time. And I recognised that there was, I just had nothing on it, Phil. And I wasn't listening to anything that was going on. And it wasn't that I wasn't listening. I just wasn't aware. And, you know, that whole piece about not having something on it and yet really there's a there's kind of maybe is there a purpose behind us doing these things? It's like there we have our reasons. It seems to me that we have our reasons for doing something like I might get an urge after this call to take a walk into my favorite cafe and go and have coffee and do some writing there. Mm -hmm. But actually what happens when I get there doesn't that's definitely not up to me at all. Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? How cool? And you know, what what you're describing there is <laughs> this word that people shit themselves about is the unknown. <laughs> it's the unknown. The unknown. You know, yes, oh my goodness. The unknown. Yeah. Do you know as though it's some sort of film noir or it's some kind of scary movie? I'm sorry, but <laughs> we live in the unknown. And to me that's more like a playground. Like you've just described, you'll get there. And maybe you're right, and maybe you won't. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So, Jacket, time's flown by. It really has. Um, I'm, and you and I have been talking a long time this morning, right? Not just yeah. not just this. <laughs> we have. And, and, and I'm not fed up with you yet, but... Um, what do you mean, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I honour your time and all the time of my listeners. So I'm wondering, just um, finally for you then, what is the purpose of what you do? Oh, God, I love that question. And it's really interesting, Phil. I moved down down to the place that I live in about two years ago from a city of three quarters of a million people with amazing broadband. Oh, my God, the broadband was so good. <laughs> down to a village where I have copper Wi-Fi. <laughs> and 750 people live in this, this little village. I followed a knowing, a feeling that I'm meant to be down here, Phil. I mean, intellectually, it makes no bloody sense whatsoever. But for some reason, and I know the reason, it's all working out. So I've now actually forgotten the question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if it's relevant, which is also beautiful. I I wondered for you, what's the purpose of the work that you do? And there was, the, <laughs> I remember now, thank you so much. That's what happens when you live in the moment, you forget them in the previous I one. love it. <laughs> um, do you know what, it, it's funny, Phil, because when we first came to see this house, um, we stood up in, in one of the bedrooms upstairs and I said something to my husband that I've never said in my life before and I have no clue where it came from. And I said, I feel as though I can breathe and I had tears streaming down my face. And I said, I know that I'm here to heal and be healed. And I don't mean that from the perspective that I'm broken or I need fixed. It was a much, much deeper, gentler truth that was all about me settling into my true nature. beautiful and and i love really like the the purpose 
I'm noticing because I ask that question of all my guests mm. and yeah, have some beautiful answers, but I can just see that I think very often to me, it looks like purpose is something that we add on after the event, after following that knowing, mm. and then we create some kind of meaning, which will put the label of purpose onto it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of my guests, I think also said something like, well, that's just what's in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I've heard from you. I've loved our conversations, Jackie. I've loved our time together. So thank you very much. Thank you, Phil. I have to. What a lovely morning I got to spend with Jackie. I absolutely love her being so unashamedly human. And if you haven't yet checked out her podcast by that name, Unashamedly Human, please do. I've included a link in the show notes. So many gems in this episode. I had a lot of fun picking out some clips to use. I particularly liked her insightful story that included a dog poo bag. That's just so real life. And of course, how she describes the simplicity of connecting with people and being curious about them, not looking to teach them, but to understand them. That's a huge shift for coaches that can open up opportunities to connect with people without all the ickiness of trying to sell. What are your takeaways from this conversation? I'd love to hear from you and explore with you. Email me or message me. And if there's something you'd like to explore creating in your practice, you could be one of the listeners I'm selecting each month with whom to have a follow-up conversation that may be featured in a future episode of this podcast. So what's your one thing you'd love to create or explore? Okay, let me ask you to do one thing. I want to get this podcast out to as many coaches and people interested in coaching as possible. You too can play a part in that by either sharing links to episode to your community on social media or email lists, or by simply recommending it to others that you converse with. And it will make a huge difference if you just take one minute to leave an honest review on iTunes. And if you do that, please let me know. I may have something for you in return. Okay, another insightful, fun episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you once again for listening. I wish you much love and joy. Bye.